Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episodes 8 and 9 of The Story of Yanxi Palace, or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For these podcast episodes, we will first do a drama episode recap and then discuss the culture and history portrayed in the episode. If you are new to the podcast, welcome! Glad to have you with us. Do check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas and also visit our website at www.chasingdramas.com. We have just revamped our website with all of our drama and movie podcast transcripts uploaded, so please do take a look if you need a reference. There are also now specific pages for the story of Minglan as well as Empresses in the Palace. Our full review of A Dream of Splendor is up, and you can also catch my initial thoughts on Love Like the Galaxy on the website as well. This is more just a plug because I feel like I did a pretty good job updating the website, so please do take a look. Episodes 8 and 9 of Yanxi Gonglue have, I think, like 2.5 storylines. I'm going to move around the plot threads in the episodes for a more cohesive recap. I will say that the pacing of these few episodes, especially the next uh, episode 10, are a little jumbled with various threads, so we'll attempt to dissect it correctly. On one hand, our main character Wei Yingluo has successfully graduated from the embroidery department and made her way to the Empress's Palace of Changchun Gong. Her primary motivation for going is to get closer to Fu Hong, the Empress's brother, in order to discover more about why her sister would have his jade pendant when she died. Ying Luo suspects that Fu Hong might have something to do with her sister's death and needs more evidence. After arriving at Changchun Gong, she does successfully pique the interest of Fu Hong once she pretends to drop his jade pendant. He seeks her out and confirms that the pendant is his, which only further raises the suspicion that Fu Hong was the one to harm Ying Luo's sister. But before she can think too much on it, Yingluo is dragged back to reality that as the new maid in the palace, she's going to have a difficult time integrating. The Empress has two close maids. One is Er Qing and the other is Mingyu. Mingyu is much easier to anger. She's like pretty immature in my opinion. And she lets it be known that she does not like the new Wei Yingluo. Mingyu complains to the Empress about Yingluo and leads the other maids in the palace in bullying Yingluo as well. But the supposed laziness of Yingluo doesn't last long as it is seen that she was the only maid to help protect the Empress's beloved flowers on one thunderstorming night. From then on, it was evident that while Wei Yingluo doesn't like to be bullied and also has a sharp tongue, she is nevertheless a very hard worker and pretty thoughtful of others. Luckily, she established that pretty quickly and gained some favor with the Empress because soon after, Gao Guifei arrives with Jiapin to cause some chaos. 
Gao Guifei is furious that Wei Yingluo tricked her previously, and is annoyed that Yingluo has made her way to the Empress's palace. At Changchungong, Gao Guifei attempts to have Yingluo's tongue cut out. Which, excuse me, why do eunuchs just randomly have daggers at the ready for this type of corporeal punishment? Aren't daggers like forbidden? <laughs> Whatever. Not going to think too much about it. Fortunately for Yingluo, the Empress appears and imposes her authority over Gao Guifei. Gao Guifei is not to punish any of Chang Chuangong's maids. This angers her a lot because Gao Guifei does not really have any standing, as she really cannot harm one of the Empress's maids. Gao Guifei still tries her best to, I don't know, punish Wei Yingluo because Yingluo duped her. Uh, in the earlier episodes, but Yingluo's quick thinking saves the day again because, to her point or Yingluo's point, she never said anything to say that she was、um, slow. It was just Gao Guifei who assumed that she was slow. After experiencing this rebuttal, Gao Guifei returns to her palace with Jia Pin in a fury. Jia Pin though turns Gao Guifei to the more urgent matter at hand. Which is what to do about Yu Guiyan's pregnancy? They can't have her successfully birth a son now, can they? One day, when Ying Luo goes to visit Yu Guiyan, she just so happens to see that the palace is empty of any servants and the main door is shut. Now, this I think is super contrived for plot purposes because it is just too lucky for all the timing to have worked. But whatever. Ying Luo does hear muffled screams as she nears the rooms where Yu Guiyan stays. But Ying Luo does hear muffled screams, and she bursts into the room only to find a eunuch trying to strangle Yu Guiyan. On the floor, though, is oddly a number of paper money and a fire pit for Yu Guiyan to burn this money. Ying Luo immediately jumps into action, first smashing a vase onto the eunuch's head to gain his attention and to force him to release Yu Guiyan. A heated struggle ensues, where the eunuch and Ying Luo try to subdue each other. While Ying Luo successfully does so, she rushes out of the rooms to cry for help, only to see that Gao Guifei has arrived. This was clearly a plot by Gao Guifei to kill Yu Guiyan. Ying Luo rushes back inside and barricades herself in the palace while Gao Guifei's eunuchs try to push their way through the door. In a last-ditch attempt, she fuels the flames in the room such that the smoke will attract someone's attention for help. With this quick thinking and just in the nick of time, Fu Hong arrives with men to help out put the flames out. As Gao Guifei's eunuchs also manage to break through the door and were about to strangle Ying Luo as well. I will give props to Gao Guifei for her quick thinking because she turned it around on Ying Luo really quickly and said it was she who wanted to kill Yu Guiyan and Gao Guifei herself was there to kill the murderer, aka Ying Luo. Ying Luo lucked out in having Fu Hong arrive because Fu Hong at least pauses. A stalemate ensues where Gao Guifei insists that Ying Luo arrive to kill Yu Guiyan while Ying Luo. Insists the opposite that she was here to save Yu Guiyan. The offending eunuch who was severely injured by Ying Luo wakes up and shockingly confesses that it was the Empress 
who instructed that he kill Yu Guiren. At this point, again, I feel like this scene was just too perfect in timing. The Empress also arrives to visit Yu Guiren because she remembered that today was a very special day. She arrives, though, the Empress, and is falsely accused of murder. Unfortunately, the eunuch also takes poison before they are able to take or get any more information out of him. However, Ying Luo doesn't take this too easily and pokes a bunch of holes into Gao Guifei's accusations. Like, why would Ying Luo arrive if the Empress already sent a killer? Why would the eunuch have so many injuries from Ying Luo if they were working together? Why doesn't she have any weapon to kill Yu Guiyan? And also, why does Gao Guifei have so many eunuchs with her as well? Gao Guifei does not have any satisfactory answers to this barrage of questions and is forced to apologize to the Empress for her false and unfounded accusations. With this, the saga closes and Yu Guiyan is taken for inspection by an imperial doctor. Thankfully, she and her child are safe. The injured Wei Yingluo is given some medicine by Fu Hong, who seeks her out afterwards. His guard around her is slowly failing, and he actually lets out a smile in her presence. I thought it's so cute because he drops or like places the medicine down and was like, I cannot look at you. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Men cannot look at a woman's body when she's trying to put on medicine, okay? No, no, no. It was more like bodyguards can't talk to women or like uh, maids. <laughs> Uh, I would say it's a rather muted but heartwarming smirk that uh, Fu Hong kind of lets out, which Wei Yingluo remarks on. Yet, when Yingluo asks about whether or not he knows a woman named Ah Man, he quickly denies this, befuddling Yingluo even further. Back at the Empress's palace, they go over the events of the day. They surmise that it must have been Gao Guifei who ordered the eunuch to kill Yu Guiren, and to make it look like she hung herself. Gao Guifei arrived so promptly because she probably wanted to see Yu Guiren die. What kind of person does that? <laughs> but the Empress does not want to escalate this topic or this matter to the Emperor. For one, the witness has died, so they have no evidence left about what happened. The other is that Yu Guiren was secretly mourning the death of her friend Yi Pin. This is strictly forbidden in the palace, which, if exposed, could lead to bigger consequences for Yu Guiren. This portion of the plot ends with Gao Guifei admitting defeat for now, but she will keep her sights on Yu Guiren. In the meantime, we are introduced to her beloved pet dog, who enjoys more authority than many servants. This dog will be the main character in the upcoming episodes. The other conflict at hand is political. The purpose? To turn the kind-hearted and conflict-avoidant Xianfei into someone who must learn to play the game in the Imperial Palace. At the end of episode 8, the Emperor calls in two of his trusted court ministers, Er Tai and Zhang Tingyu. We'll talk about them more in-depth later in this podcast episode. I do like this scene, not for the political intrigue per se, but because Nia Yuan, the actor, does a great job portraying the wrath of the young, calculating emperor. 
the aura and presence depicted on screen allows the viewer to believe that, yes, this could be what an emperor back in the day in his prime would have been like. The emperor is not happy. He has discovered that these two powerful and trusted advisors are embroiled in a corruption scandal. But more than that, the two have started creating political factions, something that the emperor fundamentally despises. He gives a stern warning to Tai and Zhang Tingyu that this cannot continue further. As for the corruption scandal, anyone involved is to be executed, namely Shan. The problem is, Xianfei's younger, good-for-nothing brother participated in bribing for Shan, the man primarily implicated in this scandal. Xianfei's younger brother is to be tried as part of this scheme. Yet, despite her mother's pleading, Xianfei does not want to beg the emperor for forgiveness. She knows that the emperor is trying to set an example, and if she pleads for her brother, it will be viewed very poorly by both the emperor and by the public. Now, Chunfei arrives to suggest that Xianfei ask the empress for help. After all, if the empress says something to Huangdi, the emperor, there might be more hope than if Xianfei asked herself. But Xianfei tries to stick to her morals. She does not want wealth or riches, but only to live without guilt. She also recognizes that if by asking for help from the empress means that she will fall under the empress's camp, which she does not want to do. At this point, Xianfei wants to the best of her ability to remain neutral in the palace. But what do you guys think? Is that something that anyone is ever able to do in the palace? Xianfei seems extremely idealistic in what she believes life will be like in the palace for the rest of her life. To be able to just love her husband and not have to worry about anything. I commend this, but it's clearly very difficult, probably impossible to do. The next couple of episodes, we'll definitely see what happens to Xianfei as she tries to figure out how to help her family. That was the recap. Now on to history. There were a lot of ministers' names being thrown around in this episode, so let's talk about the two main guys. First up is Zhang Tingyu. Born in 1672 and died in 1755, he was a Han Chinese minister who rose through the ranks and held positions at court during the reigns of three emperors, Kangxi, Yongzheng, and Qianlong. If you recall in Empresses in the Palace, the Emperor Yongzheng references or calls this guy Zhang Tingyu quite a bit. He was one of the first members of Emperor Yongzheng's Grand Council. When Emperor Yongzheng died, Zhang Tingyu was by his bedside, and he was appointed Grand Counselor and indeed became Chief Grand Counselor in 1731 to 1732. Emperor Yongzheng died in 1735, so regardless, during that time, he was a grand counselor. In 1739, which is during the reign of Qianlong, our current emperor, he was put in charge of compiling the history of Ming or Ming Shi. This compilation includes 332 volumes and covers the history of the Ming dynasty from 1368 to 1644. 
His relationship with the Emperor Tianlong did deteriorate in the 1740s and 1750s, including a whole fiasco about his retirement. Nevertheless, Emperor Tianlong did agree to his father's orders and had Zhang Tingyu's plaque placed in the Imperial Ancestral Temple, or Taimiao. Zhang Tingyu is the only Han Chinese officer to receive this honor during the Qing Dynasty. Having a plaque in the Imperial Ancestral Temple, or Taimiao, is a big deal because it meant that even the emperor had to pray to him when he died. We did talk about this in one of our Story of Minglan episodes. If you'll recall, Madame Wang's entire family believed that they were still hot stuff because her father had a plaque in the Imperial Ancestral Temple. Who was the other guy that the emperor was displeased with? He was Er Tai, born in 1680 and died in 1745. Er Tai was a Manchu official from the Bordered Blue Banner. Like Zhang Tingyu, he held high positions at court during the reign of three emperors, Kangxi, Yongzheng, and Qianlong. During the reign of Yongzheng, he primarily governed the southwest regions of China, including modern-day Yunnan and Guizhou. He also put down several Miao uprisings during his time as viceroy. Miao is another ethnic group from that region. During the early years in the reign of Qianlong, Tai became chief grand counselor until his death in 1745. He also had a plaque in the Imperial Ancestral Temple, or Tai Miao. Both of this was mentioned in the drama. He and Zhang Tingyu were rivals at court, especially during the early years of Qianlong's reign, with each leading their own ethnic factions. Er Tai led the Manchus, and Zhang Tingyu led the Han Chinese. Apparently, they were at court together for over 10 years and sometimes would just not talk to each other. One of his sons was embroiled in a corruption scandal that came to light. The son was ordered uh, death by suicide when he was found guilty and died in 1749. Lastly, let's talk about the letter that Charmaine's character Xianfei is struggling to write. It's a letter that she wants to send back home and is a reminder to her family that the law must be adhered to, even if it ultimately ends in tragedy for her clan. The letter kind of combines two anecdotes together, but the drama only shares one. The first one is pretty minor. Oh, and a fun little bug that I picked up. The handwriting on the paper that Xianfei finishes writing and the one that Chunfei unravels to read is different. How do I know? Because um, the strokes and the calligraphy on it is just different. Somebody, you can tell that some of the characters are written in a different way. There's nothing wrong with that. Shows do it all the time. I just want to pat myself on the back a little bit because I'm pretty happy that I can tell the difference these days. Back to the anecdote. The first one is not really an anecdote, but a line. So in the drama, the first line written on the paper is fa zhe, fei ren zhi fa, which translates to the law is not one person's law. 
This is very similar to a writing by Tang Taizong or Emperor Taizong of the Tang Dynasty, who lived from 598 to 649 AD. He wrote, "Fa zhe fei zhen yi ren zhi fa, nai tian xia zhi fa ye," which translates to, "The law isn't just my law," meaning the emperor's law. It's the law of the people. What the emperor means is that the emperor himself is not above the law. And that everyone must adhere to the laws that have been set forth. The line "fa zhe fei yi ren zhi fa" is written in the drama, which is very close to "fa zhe fei zhen yi ren zhi fa," which was written by the emperor. The rest of the letter references the next anecdote, which is about King Zhuang of Chu. This man lived roughly from 613 to 591 BC during the Spring and Autumn period, which was around 770 to 476 BC. The king's personal name was Xiong Lu, but we know him by his posthumous title of King Zhuang. So in Chinese, it would be Chu Zhuang Wang. The anecdote that Chunfei recounts. Uh, the story of the law of the Mao Gate was actually written by Han Feizi. He was a Chinese philosopher and statesman who lived roughly from 280 BC to 233 BC during the Warring States period. So this is Han Feizi several hundred years later recounting or telling the story of Chu Zhuangwang in his writings. So what is that story? Mao Minjufa translates to the law of Mao Gate. The story is written in prose by Han Feizi, and the story is similar to what was told by Chunfei or Consort Chun. It goes like this: The law was written so that no horse-drawn carriage could touch the puddles of water on the ground in front of the Mao Gate. That's kind of a weird law, but we'll go with it. It's a little bit different than in the drama where、um, Chunfei says whoever steps over the gate will be punished. I was reading the actual story, and it was basically puddles or water that、uh, <laughs> fell from the fell from rain. So I was like, okay, I guess this is this was a thing. So the punishment was death to the carriage driver and destruction of the carriage. The crown prince's carriage drove right through the water, and his poor carriage driver was killed. Angered, the crown prince went to his father, King Zhuang of Chu, to have the official who carried out the law to be executed. For me, I'm glad that the crown prince wanted to,、uh, I guess, avenge his driver, but also follow the rules. Because the father or his father, the king, responded with, "Those who obey the law respect their ancestors and the kingdom. They are loyal to the kingdom. How can I kill a man who obeys the laws? Those who disobey the laws disrespect the kingdom. This means that the subjects are above the king who passed these laws. If too many disobey the laws, then that means the king has lost power." If all the subjects were to fight against every law, then the power of the king's position will be greatly threatened, which means the kingdom will be threatened. What will I leave then for my heirs? Will there be law and order? No. After the crown prince hears this from his father, 
He quickly left the palace, stayed outside, kneeling to the north, and asks to be executed. I don't really know if he was truly executed. I don't think so. But this is a lesson that the king had for his son to say that no one is above the law, not even the crown prince. Well, in the drama, Sanfei is put in a tough position, but I will say her mother sucks. <laughs> She's right here saying, oh my God, this is my only son. How could he do this to your family? Um, excuse you, do you know, like, why are you lecturing your daughter? Shouldn't you have lectured your son to not commit corruption? That is kind of my spiel on this whole situation. Ma'am, please educate your son uh, not to get embroiled in this and don't have your daughter clean up for him. And that is it for today's podcast episode. We are chugging along now that Yinluo is in Changchun Palace and it's not going to be long before she comes face to face with the emperor. If you like watching Chinese dramas and movies, please do check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, which has a number of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles for free. Their services are available in the States, and you can access them online through the website Jumo or XUMO, or else on TV through Cox, Contour, and Xfinity, as well as Sling TV. The music you heard today is the Gu Zheng adaptation of Xue Luo Xia de Shengyin, played by yours truly. Thank you all so much for listening. As a reminder, we have revamped our website, so please do check that out as well. We will catch you in the next podcast episode.